Uh, thanks so much again for, for having me today uh, and this weekend. It's a, a real privilege to be with you, uh, a real privilege to have the honour to preach God's Word. So thanks, Mark, for inviting me to come and thank you for having me. I wonder how you went with the shower situation, whether anyone got timed out. No? No one got timed out? That's great. I was a bit stressed, to be honest. Anyway, we made it. It's good. I think they should have time. If they're going to have a time, they should have like an alarm. Once you start it, to give you a warning, one minute to go. Anyway, this weekend we're looking at the topic of discipleship. Um, and discipleship is one of those things. The word discipleship is one of those words. It's, it's a jargon word we use. It's a word we hear in, in Christian conversations. But often we'll have different views as to what we're talking about when we say the word discipleship. What, what is discipleship? What does it look like? Uh, what is uh, what does it mean for me to be a disciple, for me to disciple someone else? What does it look like in the church? And so that's what we're going to look at in these uh, three talks. So the first talk, we're going to have a, a real-life example of Jesus and Peter. Uh, we're going to look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus first. And then we're going to look at the, the commission that Jesus gives us to make disciples from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And then thirdly, we're going to look at what does it look like to have this discipleship values, the discipleship culture inside the church? Okay, so if you're going to nut it down into three questions, what is a disciple? Uh, what does it mean to make disciples? And what, is it, uh, what does discipleship culture look like in the church? So this morning we're looking at John chapter 21, uh, the passage that was read to us by Mark. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us understand his word and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you so much that you are present with us. What a wonderful privilege it is to know that you are here, that you delight when we gather in your name, in your presence, seeking to hear from you. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would please open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to, to your word, illuminate every part of us so that we could receive your word that we could be shaped by your word and that we could respond to you in worship, in repentance. We pray, Lord God, that you would work in every single person's heart. You know our needs. You know how much we need you. And so we pray that you would please, by your spirit, work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He is a follower of Jesus. We know this from the Gospels. He's one of those guys that is really quick to speak. In the Gospel of Mark, he's the one who declares that Jesus is the Messiah in that climactic part in the Gospel of Mark. But he didn't fully grasp what it actually meant to be a disciple. Because when it came to the crunch, he fell and he fell quite hard. He denies knowing Christ not once but three times and in the most cowardly of ways. But something happens to Peter. Something happens to Peter after Jesus' death and resurrection. There's a change. You know those before and after shots? You get your teeth fixed, you've got a before and after shot, or you've lost a bunch of weight, or you've had a makeover. There's a before and after shot. There is something happening here. We can sort of see something similar in Peter. Peter, before Jesus' death and resurrection, 
and Peter after Jesus' death and resurrection. The transformation isn't complete yet. He's still yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit that will happen and we'll see in Acts. But there is transformation here. You see, the old Peter would swear allegiance to Christ. He'd say, Lord, I will follow you to death. He says, no, Lord, you, you can't die. It's not fitting for you to die. No, Lord, don't wash my feet. And it wasn't long after he said any, all of these words that he cowardly denies Christ. And not to an intimidating soldier, to, to a servant girl. When Christ was bound, interrogated, struck, mocked, spat on, there's Peter in the courtyard of the high priest's house warming himself around a fire. This is the denial of Peter. And when they asked if he belonged to Jesus, what does he say? He says, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. I swear to you, I don't know him. This is what Peter says. But Peter doesn't remain in that state of denial. He doesn't remain a coward. Something happens to Peter. And this morning, as we look into this passage in John chapter 21, we'll see what happened to Peter. What happened to Peter is Christ. It's not in Peter, it is Christ. What's happened to Peter is that he has become a restored disciple of the Lord Jesus because of Christ, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection. Him being a disciple is wholly reliant on Christ himself and his work on the cross. And it is Christ who's called Peter, it's Christ who's charged Peter, and it's Christ who has paid the price for Peter, and it's the same for us. And as we look at this, we're going to think about being a disciple for us. Being a follower of Christ for us means that we are called, we are charged, but there is a cost. And they're the three things we're going to talk about today. The call, the charge, and the cost. Okay, let's get into the passage. All right, where are we? In John chapter 21, uh, around this time, Jesus appears to his disciples. This is the third time he's appeared to his disciples. Do you remember the first time he's appeared to his disciples, the night of his resurrection? And then he appears again. He invites uh, Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? He invites him to touch the scars. And then sometime later, he appears. By this time, they've left Jerusalem. They're in Galilee. And Peter, as usual, being the front-up person, the one who sort of leads, he goes fishing, and the other disciples follow him. And they fish all through the night, and they've caught nothing. Nothing to show what they've, what, for what they've done. And it's now early in the morning. They're tired. They're hungry. They're probably frustrated and discouraged. You could say they're hangry. And when someone appears to them on the shore, have a look, verse 4 of chapter 21 Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Here is Jesus again showing his glory all throughout the gospel of john this is what jesus is doing he's showing his glory he's showing who he is he's is, he's is the word he's the word made flesh he he is the one who was with god he's the one who is god he's the one through whom all things were created 
and sustained. He's got control over creation. And here it is. Providing abundantly for his people. And you know what's interesting here is actually every single time his disciples, every single time that his disciples have gone fishing while he's on earth, they need his help to fish. Every time. And these are fishermen. (laughs) This is what they do for a living. But every time they've gone fishing, they've needed his help. And it sort of gives you a clue. It's a pointer. It's it's pointing to the fact that actually they will need his help to fish. Not for fish, for men. They will need his help. But even before that, not just to fish for men, they're going to need his help to just be disciples, to follow him. They're going to need to be reliant. Just like they're reliant here, they will continue to need to be reliant on him. Have a look, verse 7. Then a disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. It loved, I love this scene every single time I read it. Did you notice Peter has to, he has to put on the outer garment, has to wrap it around him before he goes into the water. Usually you take it off before you get into the water, but he wraps it around himself and then he jumps in. He jumps and you could feel the joy in Peter. And you think about just a few days ago, he's denied Jesus and now he sees his Lord. He jumps I love this scene because I, because I see myself in Peter. So weak, so cowardly. And the only reason that I am a follower of Jesus is because he has come to rescue me. I love that line that we just sung in that song, Jesus Strong and Kind. If I am lost, he will come to me. And that's the truth. That's what happens in discipleship. He is the one who has come to us. He has revealed himself to us. He's the one who's come to restore me. I need him desperately. You need him desperately. I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, we, I was born in Egypt. Um, my family is Christian. My parents are Christian. My grandfather is actually a Presbyterian minister. So I'm Presbyterian through and through. was a Presbyterian minister. But I was one of the goody-goodies. I was, I was a really obedient kid at school. I was the model kid from the outside. Now, I would never get into trouble at school. Uh, I was the teacher's pet in Sunday school. I was that kid that you'd give all the memory verses to, you know, put them at the front of the church. I was the kid that you'd give that solo to, you know, in the Christmas service, sing a carol in front of the church. I was that kid. And so it got to my head. And I, I relied on my goodness. I relied on the fact that I was good. I mean, maybe I don't even need salvation. I don't even need Jesus. I, it makes sense for me to be a Christian. That's who I am. And, and like Peter, I was confident in myself. And I'd look at other people and I'd say, you know what? I'd never sin that way. And I'd never fall that far. I'd never do what that person's doing. Until I fell. Until I fell that far. After a couple of years living a really uh, an embarrassing double life um, in, in high school. Lies, deception, living my own way, but still serving at church. And my first year of uni, uh, God, God 
ended a relationship that I was in that was really detrimental to my spiritual life. And it ripped me apart. That relationship was everything to me. It was my God. That's exactly what I needed. And at that time of my life, I fell into this really deep, depressive state for about six months. Um, but that's exactly what I needed. This was a very long time ago now, but it, it still sticks to me because in God's kindness, he restored me. In God's kindness, he was showing me that he wouldn't let me go, that he wouldn't give up on me, that he would draw me out of the pit that I was, I was left in, drawing me to himself, forgiving me. And every time now that I fall short, and every time now that I fail, and of course we all fail and we fall short, again, he draws me to himself, showing me his kindness, showing me his personal love for me as my father in Christ. You see, God doesn't give up on us. doesn't give up on me. He doesn't give up on you. He didn't give up on Peter. He doesn't give up on his disciples, who all ran away, by the way, on that night that he was arrested. He goes again to them, goes and calls them. After his resurrection, he appears to them and he calls them to himself. And it's not an intimidating, it's not a threatening, it's not a frustrated call, come back here. No, this is a loving call back to his love and his kindness and his grace. And that's what he does with us. For every single one of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and as Savior, it's he who has come to us, called us to himself, opened our eyes to our own sin and our filth, our need for him to save us. That is the gospel. That is what he does for us. And when he draws us in, it's an irresistible grace that we are drawn into. And when we see him and we see his love for us, our only fitting response is to do what Peter did, to jump in, to jump in with faith and to cling to him who has called us. It's an only fitting response. But notice what he does after he calls them to, to himself. Look at verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Did you notice? Jesus has already got, he's asked them in, tell them to come bring the fish. He's already got fish on the charcoal. <laughs> He's already got it on the barbecue. He's already ready to provide for them. He, he, here is the bread of life who's just given his life for them and he's continuing to provide and nourish and feed them. This is the servant king who continues to serve his disciples. You see, friends, Jesus not only calls us to follow him, he enables us to follow him. He gives us everything that we need. He, he still feeds, he still nourishes, he still sustains. He continues to pray for us at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Our discipleship is wholly reliant on him, on his work on the cross, 
his perfect obedience, his work on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension at the right hand of the Father, we are still, to this day, as his disciples, reliant upon him. Every single second of every single minute of every single hour of every single day, we're reliant on him. And he calls us graciously to him. And he says, you don't have to do this yourself. I will give you the strength. Just like he fed his disciples then, he feeds us now. And he says, stop, stop relying on your merits. Stop relying on your credits. They don't mean anything. I've already done everything for you on that cross. Continue to rely on me as my follower. That's the first point. He calls us to himself and he enables us to follow him. And secondly, he's the charge. He calls us to himself and now he charges us. And we get a bit of deja vu when we get to this part of the story. We hear about a charcoal fire and we hear these three questions and we think, okay, well, there was, there was also another charcoal fire and there were three questions the night of Jesus being arrested. Do you remember that? At the, at the, the house of the high priest. But here, we don't get the three denials. No, we get actually restoration. And we get a charge. We get a commission. This is not just restoration. This is a reinstatement of Peter into Jesus' service. Have a look at verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <coughs> yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's Jesus doing here when he asks Peter three times? Is it just he likes three th things in threes? Or he wants to embarrass him? Yeah, he, he wants to sort of cancel out the three denials on that night? What's he, what's, what's he doing here? I don't think he's doing that. He, he's restoring Peter. He's reinstating Peter to his service. But what's interesting here is Jesus explains to Peter what it actually looks like to love him. Because did you notice the question and the answer? It's a formula. Do you love me? Then you would do this. Jesus is explaining to him by these three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. It's loving Jesus means shepherding the flock. Loving Jesus means loving his people, caring for his people, feeding his people, encouraging his people. And I know that that responsibility does lie with the elders of the church specifically. But does it only rely on the elders of the church, the leaders of the church to, to care and to feed and to encourage and to strengthen? No, that's a charge for us as his disciples. We are also to love Jesus first and express that love to Jesus by loving his people, by caring for his people, by, by looking out for them, by teaching them and rebuking them and correcting them and praying for them, forgiving them. We are to love Jesus by caring for his people. On the flip side, to care and love for God's people well, we are to love Jesus first. Friends, we make very crummy disciple makers when we don't love Jesus. 
But when we love Jesus, our love for each, for each other becomes natural. I always say to married couples when they're getting uh, engaged couples getting ready for marriage, you know what you really need? You need to love Jesus. You need to feed off Jesus. You need to you need to delight in Jesus because the more you do that, the better spouse you'll become. It's like a triangle. The closer you are, it's a bit cheesy, I know, triangle, the closer you get to God, the closer you are to each other. Yeah, but it works. It actually fits. The more you love Jesus, the more you delight in Jesus, it'll be expressed in your love for the other. Because you're united to Christ and your unity in Christ means that we are united to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the outflow of that is to love and care for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you agree? Makes sense, doesn't it? And so Jesus is calling Peter to love him and is expressed in his love and his shepherding of his people. But what kind of love is he asking? What kind of love is Jesus charging Peter? What does he mean when he says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? What are, what's these? Is it, do you love me more than fishing? Or do you love me more than, that you love more than these guys, your brothers, your friends? Or do you love me more than the other disciples love me? What's he meaning here? The simple answer is yes to all. Just say yes to everything. It's good. It makes sense. But I think, actually, that he's charging Peter to love Jesus more than everything and more than these guys as well. Love me more than these guys love me. Be completely and utterly devoted to me. Love me in a way where you would be willing to sacrifice your life for me. Love me in that way. And that's why he's asking him three times. That's what he's doing. He's actually emphasizing him. He's not, he's not embarrassing him. He's emphasizing the fact that what Peter's life will be marked by will be a love, a devotion of Jesus. And that will be expressed in his life. He will end up giving his life for his love of the Lord Jesus. Now, Peter will eventually get it, but at that moment, he's hurt. Because you remember, like, notice when someone asks you think, uh, something three times or says something to you three times, it's not nice. I mean, I experience it a lot. Maybe not a lot. Sometimes my wife needs to emphasize something to me three times. <laughs> or my kid. Are you sure you're going to take me to the playground? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, well, I end up taking him to the playground. In that moment, it's hurtful. For Peter but he will get it he will eventually get it but even in that moment you could see that there's a change in Peter there's a humility that's come out that's rushed over him because he doesn't all of a sudden just rush into swear allegiance to him he's not relying on himself it, he, it, it's it's he's responding to Jesus in weakness it's like he says you know what Jesus I know I'm weak I've just proved that I'm weak you've seen it you know what's really striking? I'm, I'm sorry if I'm taking you on a tangent here, but in Luke, Luke 22:61, Jesus actually looks at Peter. You notice that? He looked at Peter. He turned to Peter just as he denied him three times. There is that look. But you know what's beautiful? There's another look here. 
Before Peter even realized that Jesus was there, Jesus had his eyes on Peter. And which tells us that first look, it wasn't a look of disdain. It wasn't a look of condemnation. It was a loving look because that look continued. As, as Peter had his eyes on the fish and the sea, Jesus has his eye on him. Wherever our eyes are set on, Jesus' eyes are set on us. His love is upon us. His care is upon us. And he's asking us to love him back in response. That's what it means to follow him. To love him back in a way where we would say, I, I, I'm willing. Yes, I'm willing to, to turn. I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to say, Jesus, yes, you are everything to me. And that's what Peter will need to do. And that's what he did. He says, you know my weaknesses. Like us would say, we would say, Lord, you know I'm weak. I can't do this. I, there's no way I can do this. What am I doing here in Hobart preaching to you? I don't deserve this. There's nothing good in me. It's all your grace. It's like us in discipleship. Lord, I have no strength in me. I have no good in me to follow you. I have no ability to turn and to give up my life. I rely solely on you. And this is the change that's happening in Peter. He's no longer that one that is just the first person to speak. In weakness, he responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. It reminds me of that verse where the Lord responds to Paul's request to remove the thorn in his flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, in discipleship, we don't boast in the fact that we're good. We don't boast in the fact that we're strong. We boast in Him. Actually, we... We delight in the fact that we're weak because his power is made manifest in us. Discipleship, following Christ, the delight in following Christ is that actually we can delight in our weakness because his power is made manifest in our weakness. And in discipleship, in following Christ, it is expressed. And I see it even as a pastor. I was saying to someone the other day, Two weeks ago, we had a hellish Saturday night. A hellish Saturday night. My, my, my wife was so, so sick. Uh, she had gastro. She had caught it from my son. She was so, so sick. And I had to keep the kids away. My daughters have a phobia of vomiting. And she's really sick in her room. And I'm trying to take care of the kids. Anyway, it got to the point where I had to call the ambulance in the middle of the night. Three o'clock in the morning, I had to call the ambulance. She was almost fainting. And she had no more strength. Called the ambulance. They came in the middle of the night. It gave us something to stop the vomiting. Then my son got sick. I'm like, it, 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 and it was daylight saving. So I had no sleep whatsoever. By the time I got to bed in the, on the couch, it was 4 a.m. I had to get up at 6 o'clock to, to, to go to church. But inside me, I was thinking, I'm sort of happy this is happening because I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. God's going to show himself. And he does it every single time. Every single time I'm weak, every single time, I, I know I cannot rely on my physical strength. I know I can't. I had no sleep. But he, every single time, his power is made manifest in my weakness. That's discipleship. That's following Jesus. 
Not just relying on him for a ticket to heaven. No, no, no. Relying on him for every single turn, every single step, every single decision. And the biggest one is, Lord, I give you my life. And that's where the cost is. Have a look at what Jesus says to Peter in verse 18. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus explains discipleship perfectly here. You want to know what discipleship is? It's following Jesus. But for Peter, that's going to, that's going to, that's going to, that's going to mean that he's going to die for Jesus. He'll follow Jesus to his own death, just like Jesus glorifies the Father in his death. Peter will glorify God in his death as one who died for the sake of Christ. And so Peter, so Jesus invites Peter, follow me. He invites you and I, follow me. Not just on the sand, on this beautiful space, this beautiful piece of land. No, no, no. Follow me on the path of suffering for my sake. In the world's eyes, this is absolutely ridiculous. Why would anyone follow someone to death? Why would you follow a Savior who's going to lead you to your own death? Now, friends, we probably won't die for the sake of Christ here on this part of the world. We probably won't die because of persecution. But there is a dying to self in discipleship, isn't there? There is a dying to self. There is a taking up of our cross. There is a turn, a repentance, a turning from my old life to a new life, a turning from I live for myself to a living for Jesus, a turn from a crown on my own head to taking off the crown and putting it on the Lord Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my King. I live for you. But there is a dying to that. That's hard and hurtful and costly. So why would we do it? Why would we lose our lives? You know why? Because like Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Because that's where true life is. The losing of our old life means that we find true life, new life, life in Christ. Yes, it's costly. But friend, make no mistake, the cost of dying to self is only possible because of the one who's died for us. And it's through him, through his sacrificial death on the cross, through his victorious resurrection that we can live for him, that we can die to self and have new life in him. And no matter how often we fail, no matter how bad we fail, the Lord graciously comes and says, I can restore you, I will restore you. And that may well be the thing that you need to hear where you are now, wherever you are now, whether you've been far, whether you've fallen, whether you feel like you're, all you could see in front of yourself is shame and guilt. And Jesus says to us, just like he restores Peter, he says, I restore you. Come, come to me. Find your rest in me. Find your refreshment. Find your renewal in me. He does the same for us. But following Christ, even though it is a dying to self, it, it looks differently. I love, I love when Peter says to, he looks at John and he says to Jesus, what about him? Is he going to die for you as well? 
How come I get to? How come I have to die? He doesn't get to die. It's like when you, you know, you, you tell one of the kids to empty the dishwasher. What about her? Doesn't she have to empty the dishwasher too? This is like what Peter's saying. Friends, some of us are, we are called to die to self. That is following Christ. Dying to self and following Jesus. That's discipleship. For us to be disciples, we follow him. But that dying to self will look differently. It will be manifest in different ways. Some of us are called to be shepherds. Mark is called to be a shepherd. The elders are called to be shepherds. Some of us are called to teach God's word. Some of us are called to, to be missionaries, to, to go overseas. Some of us are called to teach Sunday school. Some of us are called to different things. But we're all called to follow Christ. Every single one of us are called to follow Christ. Whatever context he's placed us in, whether it be school or, or uni or work or in retirement, he's called us to follow him. Whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we've got kids, whether we're parents or grandparents, wherever context, whatever context he's placed you in, he calls you to follow him. To not live for yourself, but to live for him. Not to love anything else more than him, but to love him, be devoted to him. Live for his purpose, for his glory. Follow me, is what Jesus says to us. And that's the first step of discipleship. You probably came in here thinking, I'm going to talk to you about making disciples. No, no, no. Before we make disciples, we've got to be disciples. And being disciples is wholly reliant on him. He says, follow me. But please don't follow me on your own credit. Please don't follow me on your own merit. Follow me in reliance on me, fully. I have paid the price on the cross. I'll call you. I charge you. I'll enable you. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because of your wondrous grace to us in the Lord Jesus. That through him, through his perfect life, through his death, through his resurrection, we can be yours. We can be your children. Lord, there's nothing good in us, nothing that we can rely on that would, be, that would cause us to be acceptable to you. Only Christ and what he has done for us. But Father, so often we fail. So often we are, we're proud. And so Father, we pray you forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we've relied on ourselves. And Lord God, we, we thank you because of your mercy to us. That no matter how far we have been, how hard we've fallen, your offer of forgiveness is full and free through Christ. Thank you that through Christ we can be disciples, following Christ. And so we pray that you help us. Help us to respond to your call, to your grace, to follow you, to love Christ more than anything else, to repent, to turn from our old life and to turn to him, to live for his glory and not our own. And Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen us, enable us to live for you. Lord God, help our hearts, soften our hearts, help us to be completely captivated by your love for us and respond to you in worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.